Well, I'd like to encourage you, invite you to turn in your Bibles now to the book of First Timothy. The book of First Timothy, as we look to the new year and lasting motivations, and especially the encouragement that Paul gives to Timothy, there in First Timothy chapter 4. Our scripture reading will come from First Timothy 4, verse 6, and we'll be going through verse 10. First Timothy Chapter 4, verse 6 through verse 10. An encouragement to a young pastor pastoring a church that has a number of struggles, but yet he's taken on the challenge to that. And in verse 6 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, it reads this way. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of faith, And of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life, also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Let's bow in a word of prayer once again. Our Father in heaven, we ask, O God, for your spirit to fill us and enlighten us and grant to us understanding. May you open our hearts wide, O God, to your word, that we might have a resolve, that you would strengthen our faith, that we might walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling which we have received. For your glory and your name's sake, amen. Every new year, people make resolutions. People make New Year's resolutions. And so I thought I'd look into that a little bit and found out that the tradition of making New Year's resolutions goes way, way back. In fact, it goes some 4,000 years back, according to one source, back to the Babylonians who would make New Year's resolutions. And the most popular resolution of that time, 4,000 years ago among the Babylonians was you'd return something that you borrowed from someone else the previous year. Well, when you Google or blog about the, look at blogs about what New Year's resolutions are popular these days, there are various lists that people have as to what are the most popular, but they include generally these top ten things as there was one source that went and scoured for what are the top ten things that people make resolutions about. The tenth one is to give or volunteer more. The ninth, get your life organized. The eighth would be to save more money or maybe make more money. The seventh would be to spend more time with family. The sixth would be to get a new job or start a business. The fifth would be to start budgeting. The fourth would be to stop smoking or to drink less. The third would be to get out of debt. The second would be to eat healthier. And across the board, most lists has of their number one goal in the new year would be to get into shape. 
And that's not surprising these days. The number one thing is to get into shape. But sad to say, the success rate of keeping New Year's resolutions when they've done some studies on it is very low. And according to the U.S. News and World Report some number of years ago, the number of Americans who actually keep their New Year's resolutions for more than one month, just a little over half. Then, six months later, well, it drops down to 40%, and those who keep it for more than a couple of years is only 20% or less. In fact, those who have the idea of getting into shape... And those would be only the success rate after one year would be somewhere between 10 and 20 percent. And there have been other people who have done studies as well as to why it is so hard for people to keep a resolution once they make it in the beginning of the year. And they found in their studies that, well, people make resolutions that are far too general, not specific enough. Or perhaps their resolution is not having specific goals by which they truly want to entertain or, or achieve those types of things. And if it's in the area of diet or fitness, they perhaps follow some plan without re-educating themselves as to a change in lifestyle. And a number of people never succeed in achieving New Year's resolutions or goals is because, well, they don't set any. Perhaps they've failed so many times or they've been so discouraged, they simply don't set any. They don't think about them. And the same can be said, perhaps, about Christian resolutions for the Christian life. And over the years, a Christian can sort of capitulate into a life that is complacent or apathetic, perhaps indifferent, perhaps discouraged, and they lose their motivation year after year as perhaps they struggle over the same things. It's interesting, there was a man named Max Dupree, he was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He's done a number of uh, books and some written on the subject of leadership. And when he was asked what the most difficult thing he had to do as a leader was, his reply was, it's the interception of entropy. It was written, entropy is a term from physics that has nothing to do with the second law, or it has to do, I should say, with the second law of thermodynamics and the availability of energy. It speaks of the fact that the universe is winding down. It's the idea that everything that is left to itself has a tendency to deteriorate. Entropy, it's not only one of the greatest enemies of the universe, it's one of the greatest enemies of the human spirit. A person becomes apathetic or complacent or settles for the path, uh, path of least resistance in some area of life. Dreams die. Hopes fade. A terrible thing happens. A person believes and learns that they can live with mediocrity. Unquote. And God has never called us, though, to a life of mediocrity. When you read the scriptures, it's always a life to grow, to mature, to strive, to press on in the service that God has called you and I to. It'd be sad and disappointing if after a year, you who are parents have seen perhaps your child still at the place they were a year ago. They haven't perhaps grown or matured or developed or learned. They have no goals, no drive, no initiative. They don't have no desire to grow. And you would be very disappointed after a year. 
But if after a year you see your own children mature and grow, they become disciplined, they have a responsible lifestyle, they're socially well-adjusted, they evidence life change, most of all they come to know Christ or growing in godliness, you would be pleased, wouldn't you? And it's sad though, it is sad though, when a Christian fails to strive, fails to develop, fails to have goals and is aimless and has no drive or passion, little or no love for the Lord. So at the beginning of the year, as we look on this past year, when people make so many decisions regarding life, they evaluate what has happened in the past and they look forward to the future. When we look at this new year, how can How can we have a motivation that is continual such that your goals for becoming more Christ-like will be sustained? How can we keep our resolutions when it comes to things that have to do with God, have to do with our own life, have to do with spiritual growth? There are a number of motivations that the scriptures give us. Number one, and I'll list a number here for you. Number one, to have true and lasting change in the heart. To have true and lasting change in the heart begins with loving God from the heart. The greatest of all commandments in Matthew 22. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me as we turn to each of these. Matthew 22, verse 36 to 38. It is a reminder that is very common when... Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, 36 to 38, someone asks him in verse 36 of Matthew 22, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and foremost commandment. You know, people say they love God. We sing songs about how we love God. They'll sing, they'll tell God how they love Him. But have you ever thought about people that you truly love or people that you deeply love? You think about someone you sincerely love, someone you genuinely love and that you have a heart for. Maybe it's your husband or your wife or you love your children or maybe it's your parents or perhaps some significant other. Someone you love deeply. One thing about that relationship is that you don't want to hurt that individual. You don't want to break that relationship. You don't want to be a disappointment to that person. You don't want to let them down. See, it's a lie when you... Listen to someone. They come out of an abusive situation where their husband perhaps has abused them and they'll tell them, oh, that they love them and they won't do it again. You know, the person who is an abuser, one who truly loves, won't be taking advantage or abusing them as they do. Because if you truly love someone, you don't desire to hurt them. You don't desire to disappoint them. You don't desire to break that relationship. Just like a child who loves their parents and knows their parents love loves them. They won't want to disappoint their parents. And when they do, there's incredible pain. And the same is true with our relationship with God. And if you ask yourself, do I truly love God? Do I truly in my heart love God? Then ask yourself, how 
how do I feel when I disappoint God? How do I feel when I sin against God? Jesus says it very clearly in John 14:50. If you love me, you will what? Obey my commandments. In 1 John chapter 5, if you look there in the book of 1 John, there's a very pertinent passage as well when it comes to the love of God, to how we realize we love the Lord. 1 John chapter 5 verse 3. John writes here in the same vein. 1 John chapter 5 verse 3. For this is the love of God. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments aren't burdensome. When you hear the Word of God, when you read the Word of God, when you learn something from the Word of God, are they a burden to you? Do you feel they're constrictive? Do you obey what God has called you to? That's an indication of your own love for God. And when you... Think about your own heart and whether or not you truly love God. You think to yourself, when I sin, when I do things that disappoint God, how badly do I feel? How sensitive am I? Because if it doesn't phase you, then the answer is right there. As to your love for the Lord is not there. You see, if we want to change, if you want to change to do and be a person that God wants you to be, it begins in the heart. It begins in the heart. It doesn't begin with being more active in church. It doesn't begin with doing more things. It doesn't begin with more giving or more activity. It begins in the heart. Asking yourself, God, what is my affection? What is my passion? What is the, the desire of my heart? Do I love really what God loves? Do I hate what God hates? Do I want to live for things that matter to God because I love God? It all begins in the heart. Or do I live for the things that matter to me? The things that matter to the world? Where is my heart? And do I love God with all of my heart? So when you want to change, you want to achieve those goals, address the issue of the heart first. Secondly, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We look one book over. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Second sustaining principle to life change and being godly is to be in the Word. All scripture, it says, is inspired by God, profitable, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be equipped, adequate for every good work. You want to have more joy this year? You want to have less stress? You want to be a person who is wiser? You want to be a person who has more confidence, less fear? You want to be a person who has more self-disciplined? It's not in the self-help section of Barnes and Noble. It's not going to be in some meditation. Not some drug that you're going to take. It's not found in some relationship. Some activity that's going to temporarily fill some void that is in the heart. You want to have a person that... You want to be a person that is more at peace with yourself and the world and with God. 
then you've got to be in the Word of God. Because true change doesn't come because someone else is keeping you more accountable. It's not going to come because you're in some position of influence. You're not going to come because you're afraid of punishment, so therefore you're going to behave in a certain way. True change begins in the heart. And it is motivated and reminded by the Word of God. For the Word of God changes your life and it changes my life. And frankly speaking, that's why some people don't like to study the Bible. That's why some people don't like to be in a Bible study. They don't want to be in a Bible study. Why? Because the Word of God, it says in the book of Hebrews 4.12, that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And it divides the soul and the spirit and joints and marrow. And that it discerns and it judges the intentions and the thoughts of the heart. In other words, the Word of God will convict you. It will, it will correct you. Sometimes it will condemn the sin in our heart. It makes us uncomfortable. When we look at something and it confronts us, we don't desire sometimes to study it more in depth. Because why? It addresses something we feel uncomfortable about. And when people don't desire and love the Word of God, then you won't change to be the type of person that God wants you to be. If you want to be a better husband or a better wife or a better parent or a better child, you want to be a better employee, you want to be a person who has true peace with others, that exuberates with joy, that is lasting, then you have to be in the Word of God. You have to be regularly in the Word of God. And it even commands us in 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn babes. Desire or long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The Word of God helps us to grow, to be more mature, so that we can change. And oftentimes people are resistant to it. Why? Because it does confront, it does convict. And if you do not love the Word of God then change will come very, very difficult to you. So, you want to have long-lasting motivation to be godly? Then deal with your heart. Do you love God? Are you in His Word? And thirdly, develop self-discipline. Develop self-discipline. Chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, we read this morning, don't have anything to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit. But godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and the life to come. No athlete succeeds unless they work out. No musician doesn't become proficient unless they practice. And students don't succeed academically unless they study. People have more or less, maybe more or less gifted, and that certainly helps. But discipline is a part of anyone who succeeds. Soldiers are very disciplined because they have a regimen that they follow. Farmers are disciplined when they get up early in the morning. And you don't grow unless you work at it. Because the same is true in the Christian life. Maturity doesn't come unless you are self-disciplined. Unless you practice self-control, self-denial, delayed gratification. The person who is self-disciplined is in control of their body and their mind. The things that they do and the things that they think. 
you know, next month there will be the Winter Olympics that will come. And I always appreciate the Olympics. I always appreciate watching those athletes because it's such a reminder. It's it's such a, a clear reminder to me about the dedication that they have, the discipline that they have in their life. And I read about Michael Phelps, the winner of eight Olympic medals, eight gold medals a couple of summers ago. How he trained, how he trains currently. The article that I read, a couple of them said that his coach started training Michael Phelps when Michael was 11 years old. He pushed Phelps to swim at least 50 miles every week. According to him, kids at that age are able to increase the size of their heart and their lungs in a way that is no longer possible later on. And the larger your heart and the larger your lungs in the future, well, the larger the aerobic engine you'll have. Phelps has been training almost five hours a day, seven days a week without any rest day. He admitted that he trained him and that he had little time for much else other than to eat and sleep, watch a little TV. Phelps had to swim on his birthdays and on Christmas too. Currently, he consumes 12,000 calories every day. And the average person consumes maybe about 2,000. That's what you need. And even if you were a power weightlifter, you would be consuming about 8,000. His breakfast consists of three fried egg sandwiches with cheese and lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, mayonnaise, toast, omelet, porridge, three pancakes, and two cups of coffee. That's for breakfast. Could feed an average family with that. His lunch consists of a pound of pasta, two ham and cheese sandwiches, and approximately 1,000 calories of energy drinks. Then for dinner, another pound of pasta, pizza, more energy drinks. And he trains, though, because he burns them all off so heavily. He trains for six hours a day, six days a week without fail. Even if Christmas Day falls on a training day, he does a full day of training. Total dedication to his training program has made him a world champion. He swims approximately 50 miles each week, which is over 8 miles per training day. And a mile is about 72 or 70 lap or, or lengths of a standard size pool. Now, people will do things like that for a gold medal. To be a world champion, shouldn't we as believers be training hard to be godly people as Christ would call us to? He doesn't go to the top if it weren't for self-discipline. Those people who aren't self-disciplined, well, they're slaves to what? They're slaves to their bodies. They're not masters over themselves. They are slaves to how they feel. They're slaves to what their desires are. The lack of discipline enslaves them to the desires of flesh. But successful Christian living, you see. If you want to be a successful Christian who obeys God, you watch what you do then. You watch what you think then. You watch how you conduct your life. What you use to spend your time on. How you spend your finances. What you do with your family, etc. Your discipline in all of those areas. And I'm so grateful to my parents who encouraged me at a very young age to be disciplined, to have a regular disciplined life, 
how I conduct myself, eating and sleeping on a regular basis with regular times, having a priority of God and family. And they taught me a number of things that helped me to prioritize what my priority should be. They taught me about delayed gratification. Because all of those things will factor into a person's life when they get older. How they conduct themselves, what they do with their time and resources and how they use their life. You cannot be, you see, a godly person unless you are self-discipline, self-control, exercising self-denial. For Jesus Himself said, if any man comes after me or desires to come after me, he must what? Deny himself. Self-control, self-discipline, fruits of a spirit-filled life. You want to have lasting motivation to godliness? You want to have lasting motivation that will help you achieve your spiritual goals? Deal with the issues of the heart. Be in the Word of God and live a self-disciplined life. Lastly, have a vision for the future. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You look in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Have a vision for the future. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 and 10. Paul writes here to the Corinthians, he says, Therefore, we also, verse 9, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. To be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, everyone who achieves some goal sets their sight on the finish line. Everyone who wants to win at a particular competition has a vision of that completion line. Those who are perhaps involved in sports, envision winning or finishing. They envision the, the race that is to come or they envision the hard work, not only the hard work, but the victory that they might have. They envision success. They envision what it will be like perhaps when they've finished. There will be a day you see that each and every person here will come before the throne of God. Will come before the throne of God and as the text says, they're going to be rewarded. They're going to be rewarded for the things that they have done with their life. And if you've invested and used your life for the things of God, for the things that matter in eternity... You've invested your time and your resources and things that God cares about. Then you'll be rewarded accordingly. And if you haven't, there'll be a loss of that reward, though you'll still be saved. So we want to be people who are successful in the setting of our goals and the setting of things that matter to God. That deal with the issues of the heart. Then spend time in the Word of God which changes lives. Be self-disciplined and have a vision for what the end will be someday when we stand before God. But what does a godly person do? What are some of the goals that a godly person can make? I mean, many of the goals that I mentioned at the very beginning tend to be very, well, perhaps even self-centered. Make more money spend more leisure time or whatever. 
There's a man named Jonathan Edwards who drew up a list of resolutions. Jonathan Edwards was a powerful revivalist who brought about a great awakening. God used him to in America. And he wrote them down beginning in 1722 and he added them several times in his life. The seriousness about which he desired to pursue the knowledge of God and to pursue being a person that God would want him to be. This is what he wrote. He wrote, quote, Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat Him by His grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to His will for Christ's sake. And he had many, some 77, but here are some of them that are perhaps of the higher priorities. Resolve. That I will do whatsoever I think to be most to God's glory and my own good, profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration. Resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved to do this whatever difficulties I meet with. How many and how great soever. Resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. Resolved. Never to do anything, which if I should see in another, I should count a just occasion to despise him for or to think any way more meanly of him. Resolved to study the scriptures so steadily, constantly and frequently as that I may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Resolved. To ask myself at the end of every day, week, month and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Resolved, never henceforth till I die, to act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. Resolved, I will act so as I think I shall judge would have been best and most prudent when I come into the future world. Resolve never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. Resolved after afflictions to inquire whether I am a better person for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. Unquote. The resolutions that we make in the beginning of the year, I pray, would be godly ones, would be things that would be pursuant to what God desires in your life. And wouldn't be some slacking resolution that would be so general that says, well, I think I'll just do a little bit better here. 
But to have a resolute heart to say, this is what I desire to change permanently in my life, that I might be a better person this year than I was the last. That I will not do that again. And to have a determination in one's heart that lives for the things that matter to God. And to change for your own life, for the sake of God's name, and for your family's sake, for your testimony, that one might be a person after God's own heart. That you can say, resolve, that is what I desire to do. I want to evaluate myself at the end of every day. And at the end of every day, I lay down on my bed. And I think about the day and how have I conducted myself. And oftentimes I fall short in my own life. I fall short in my own life and I resolve to do not that again. And I think and I reflect. Because God has given to you one life. One life. The question is, how are you going to live that life? How are you going to live that life? Because one day you'll stand before the judge and he will give an account and he will evaluate your life. You leave a legacy behind. Every day that you live, every moment and everything that you say and the things that I say, touch people's lives in a different way. How will you resolve to change? Will it be things that will matter for eternity so that you can be the type of person God desires you to be, to have true joy and peace, to live a life that is filled with the Spirit, to have a life of joy, and no matter what happens in life, you will be blessed to resolve to live a life that is pleasing to God for the sake of His name we live. Is that your resolution? I hope that it will be this year. Let's pray. Father, my mind harkens back to the song that we had sung. Holiness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I desire. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. I pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a resolved heart. To have a determination, O God. When the world desires and pursues things with discipline so that they might succeed, as your word says, to obtain a wreath, a crown that will disappear in this age, O God, I pray that we might pursue you for a crown that will never fade. Father, may we be resolved, determined, not to repeat the mistakes that we have made, And to endeavor to achieve greater godliness for your glory and by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.